Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. to Christians, you can't get more basic than understanding the Bible and living by it and talking about it. Yet at the same time, all right, I know it could be really complicated, right? I mean, being called basic isn't necessarily a good thing in our culture. But hey, yo, being a basic Christian when it comes to the Bible, that's huge. And so we talked a little bit about how to read it. And today we're going to shift on how to talk to talk about it. There is no better way to live your life than knowing God and making him known. And so today we're going to kind of uh, piggyback a little bit on that and more focus on the second one. Last week we talked about the importance of knowing him, right? And so you can look, look at that and the importance of how the Bible plays out. But what about making him known? That could be a little tough for some of us, right? Talking about, if last week was how and why do we, uh, how and why of reading God's word, today is going to be the how and why of speaking about God's word. You know, what comes in has to come out, all right? It's just like anything else. What comes in has to come out. And you don't want to be a bobblehead Christian. I've said this one before. You guys all seen bobbleheads before? We all good with the, y'all don't need a visual? Bobbleheads are what? They're big heads and little hearts. Right? And so we can have some bobblehead Christians who devour the word of God and, and they, they know more than anyone, but it all comes in and it doesn't work out. Right? It's all knowledge and no application. And then you become a bobblehead Christian. You don't want to be like that. You know, just throw, you, know like you, you, you got all that info. You got big heads, but you got little hearts. And so we want to avoid that situation and we want to avoid being idle in these things. So when I say idle, I'm going to say the word I-D-L-E. You guys know what idle means, right? To be still. All right. Y'all processing that word? Because I'm going to say another word that sounds just like it in English, but it's spelled differently. So idle is being still. And we don't want to be idle when it comes to not knowing him, right? And making him known, but I get it. Last week, we talked about excuses on why you don't read the Bible. Today, I know it. There's some excuses on why maybe you don't want to share it. All right, maybe uh, can I, anybody agree with me online as well? For some of us, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's hard for you to share things because you're nervous. Or maybe you're scared, right? Or this or that. And for a lot of different reasons, right? You know, you're scared and nervous for one thing, right? Maybe you just don't know what to say. I don't know if anyone's been there before, right? I just don't, I want to, Pastor, I just don't know what to say. Well, that's what last week was for. It's kind of hard to say anything if you don't know what you're talking about. All right, it's kind of like what I said this, this last Wednesday in a Bible study. We were seeing how Jesus would constantly tell the devil, it is written. Every time the devil would come at him with a word in the scripture, Jesus would always say, now hold on, devil, it is written. But for us to be able to declare it is written, all right, how are you going to be able to respond with it is written if you've never read it, taken time to understand it or apply it? Right? And so, so for some of us, I'm like, well, I don't know what to say. It's because you don't have anything to say. Because maybe your, your level of God's word is a little too superficial. That's why I want to challenge you to get going in there. And that will solve that problem. Okay, okay, fine. All right, Pastor, I get it. All right, so I, I know what to say now. I'm doing it, but I just don't know how to say it. I know what to say. I just don't know how to. Well, you're, you're stressing and putting too much on you. I think, you know, you're, you're thinking you're... You're thinking you're too special, all right? Because in the end, this is what the Holy Spirit's for. He tells us the how. He gives us those moments in order to say the how. It's just like a sponge, guys. Have you ever taken a sponge and soak it in water? Once you squeeze it, what comes out? Comes the water. And so you want to be able to soak up God's word. So in the moment comes and the Holy Spirit guides you, then, all right, out comes the water. Out comes the word. And he'll show you how to do it in love, you know, how far to go, when, where. So, you know, you don't have to... Do this all on your own. If you're thinking, well, how do I do this? And you're putting too much trust and faith in yourself and not trusting in the Holy Spirit that, that he's there. 
And then the to whom is maybe the other one. I was like, okay, well, all right, I know how and I know what. Just, just, but who do I talk to? For every person that I bump into, do I have to bring it up? Do I have to be that guy that I have to turn every conversation to Jesus? No one's going to want to ever invite me or talk to me ever again. I know, guys, listen, there's some creepy Christians that do that. All right? You ever, you know, they always find a way to bring it back. I was like, here we go again, right? Here we go. Does that always have to be? I get it. You know, I think there was a comedian. I think his name is Michael Johnson. I already forgot his name. Is that Michael? I forget. He's, he, remember what I'm talking about? I don't think it's Michael Johnson. But he would say, it was like, yeah, there's those creepy Christians where somebody would look and say, oh, man, I misplaced my keys. I don't know where my keys are. And then you have that one guy saying, what you need, brother, is the keys to the kingdom. That's what you need. You don't need them keys. You need the keys to the kingdom. You know who has the keys? Jesus. He holds the keys to the hell. And, set, and I was like, oh, calm down. Okay, all right, all right. So I know that there is a way that we can be really cringe about it, corny about it. And I could, you know, that could be a little stressful on what to say, how to say it, to whom. I get it. But the thing that we must not do is be idle, meaning non-active. And one of the things that keeps us from being idle as believers are our idols, I-D-O-L, okay? Idol worship leads to idleness every single time. Idol worship leads to idleness. And so you don't have to have a statue. You don't got to be sacrificing chickens to some little thing that you got up in your, you know, putting little candles and little drink offerings. Listen, we all have and tempted to have idols right here in our hearts. And that's a big one for us to be able to address because if we want to address our idleness, then we got to address our idols. All right? Because when we focus and worship the living God, that worship always leads into works. And so if there's a sense of idleness there, then that means there must be an idol. And for that idol, I'm going to just be real with you, if it's not God, it's you. We are our biggest idols. We want to worship ourselves, and we want people to affirm us and love us and applaud us and praise us. And we do things so that we can get. But as Christians, we're not supposed to do in order to get. We live because of what we've got as Jesus. It's a little different. We want him to get, like we were singing earlier, it is your kingdom, all for your glory. And so we cannot be idle. So, guys, listen, if God was not idle, in making himself known to us, then we cannot be idle in knowing him and making him known. Y'all tracking? And so we're going to look at how to be able to do this. How do we avoid this? How do we address our idols and learn how to talk uh, to people about God's word by looking at the next pit stop on Paul's second missionary journey? This time we're going to be in Athens. All right. So I've never been to Greece before. Anybody ever been there? Anybody online? Oh, nice. I, I, that's kind of like would be a cool little bucket list kind of situation to step in history like that. Athens would be a cool little spot. And so Paul is in Athens. We talked about this last week. He is now literally on the run. No matter where he goes, revival's breaking out. Churches are getting established. And they are literally, all right, so the people who are against it are running him out of town. He's in Athens right now. And he's waiting for his two boys. All right, Paul. Nope, that's Paul who's waiting. Silas. And Timothy. All right, so he's waiting for them, and he's in Athens, and we're going to look at the story. And so two important things, guys, that you just give you context. Athens during this time, about 2,000 years ago after the resurrection of Jesus, is not the Athens of, you know, history. It's, you know, at this time, Athens, it's important, but it's not so influential. It's kind of like a big university town. You ever heard of that term before? It's a university town. That's what Athens is. And so if Hollywood attracts what kind of people? Hollywood attracts what kind of people? All right, movie stars, actors, producers. Nashville attracts what kind, what kind of people, if you know? Musicians, country, singers, writers. So in the way that Nashville, you know, kind of attracts a certain hub of people, Hollywood attracts a hub of people, Athens is uh, attracted a hub of people, public speakers. All right, this is where you went to kind of show yourself off. If you can make it in Athens, you can make it anywhere, all right? As a public speaker, as a communicator, as a feel, as a thought person. And so this is where you would go. And so Paul happens to be there. And uh, what's and the best part about it is that it's also the religious center of Greece still. And so you're going to see a lot of idols here he's going to mention. Uh, what's crazy, you don't see this in the detail, but we do know this. Guys, the, the number of statues versus people was three to one. There was about 10,000 residents in Athens, 30,000 statues of gods all over the place. So you could imagine that three to one. This is where Paul is. And so he's hanging out. He's waiting for his boys to show up. 
And so let's see what he does while he waits. So let's now, we're going to read uh, three little sections. We're going to read first Acts 17, verses 16 through 21. Let's look at part one of this. Ready? All right. So we're going to read it together online. We got it. We're going to put it on for you. So while Paul was waiting for his boys to show up, he was, look at these words, guys, deeply what? The word is distressed. He is emotionally wrecked. For what? When he saw that the city was full of idols. I already gave you that image. So he, look what he did. He always, man, Paul always starts with the truth and always leads with the truth and stays with the truth. He reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews according to the word of God, according to the scriptures, like always, and with those who worshiped God. These are the Greek God-fearers, the non-Jews who loved, um, the, who worshiped the God of, of the Jews, but they weren't Jews. And as well as in the marketplace every day while he waited for his boys to show up with those who happened to be there. So if you were a living body, you know, your heart was beating and you're breathing. Oh yeah, Paul's right there. Paul's right there. Can I talk to you for a second? Can I talk to you for a second? Uh, he's asking questions. He's mingling with the crowd. That's what he's doing. Uh, so here we go. So here he says, uh, where was it? Okay, 18. Some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these were like the two big groups of the day. They also debated with him and say, oh, okay, uh, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? I'm telling you right now, you open up your mouth about Jesus, someone's going to have some stank to say. All right, just be ready with that. The ignorant show-off, man, they're literally saying, this guy, yo, he's just a fraud. It, the image of this is somebody who picks up things that fall off a cart and then they you know, just kind of, you know, build something with it. In essence, they're saying, yo, Paul, you ain't nothing special, bro. All you're doing is picking and choosing from all these different religions and stuff. You thinking you all hot stuff, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're biting. All right. You, you a fake, you a phony. And so some said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he is telling us something about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. And that was very weird for Greeks. They didn't believe in that stuff. So they took him. This is not like by force, but they, they invited him to kind of a little sparring match, a mental, you know, battle of wits. And so they take him and they bring him to the Areopagus, which is that was kind of like, you know, you know, think of a, you know, this is an arena. This is where we have all the best speakers and communicators. This is where you cut your teeth. All right. This right here. May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Already right there. That's a beautiful audience. I'm like, all right, listen, just talk. We want to really see what you mean. I love that. So keep on going. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their days and their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. All right, so we're going to pause there. Let me just give you one thing on that last, that, that was kind of like a little bit of slam. Luke writes something as a slam, like saying, bro, all these guys do is spend time looking for, you know, what's the new talk? What's the new this? What's the new thought? What's the new idea? I mean, these guys are nothing but little kids playing soccer. You ever seen little kids play soccer? My kids play soccer. Most frustrating thing to watch ever, okay? Literally, if you see little kids play soccer, what do you do? There's the ball, and there's a mob of kids. Just, you know, I mean, it's like, no, this is not, this is not how it works. This is not, and just, that's all it is. And guys, this is a slam because we still got those kind of people today, right? Look at the news, right? No, no one, what's the new thing that's happening in the news, right? And then once after three or four days, all right, well, what's new now? Oh yeah, forget about what's going on in there. What's new? What's new? What? Constantly looking for that. And there's some Christians out there, guys, listen, you got to be careful. Do the same thing. There's a lot of people take God's word and saying, you know what? This is, eh. and they'll close God. I want to hear something new. I want to hear you speak to me this way, not this way, this way. Yo, red flag on the plate. Just saying right there. You don't want to be that. That You know, you want to anchor that. You don't put the book down. If the book is boring, what you're listening to is not the same voice. Just giving you that. All right. So anyway, so what do we see here? So let's look. This is the reason for Paul's sermon. Right now, we're going to read about what he's going to say in a minute. And I want you to pay attention to what he says and how he says it. But before, let's look at the reason. Why does he go and stand and talk to everybody? Well, guys, I, I love his, at the very beginning, the way Luke describes, he was deeply, what was that word he used? Distressed. He was emotionally wrecked. Why? Because of the idol worship. Now, what I love about Paul is that Paul didn't remain idle. He didn't, you know, he could have been, you know what, it's been busy. You know, I've been kicked out of three towns by now, man. These guys don't let me, let me take a nap. Let me wait for my boys to show up. And then when they get here, we'll get going, right? Now, I, even while he waited, 
he was just interacting with people, asking questions, and, and just talking to them because his heart was so wrecked to see so many people. Again, imagine, guys, 10 to 10, no, I'm sorry, 3 to 1, all right, 10,000 to 30,000. Here he's seeing all of these people giving offerings and time and praise to dead statues, putting their hope in things of marble and gold to give me life and protect me, protect me, affirm me, love me, bless me. So could you see how, why he would be so distressed in my saying, oh my gosh, there is a real God out there who loves you and affirms you and can save you and bless you. There's a real God out there and here they are, they're giving everything to something that was gonna, all he was doing was robbing them of their time, robbing them of their money and robbing them of their life. So you can see why he would be so distressed and wrecked. And that should be the same for us. But what I love is that he went from deeply distressed to having conversations, guys. His compassion led to action. So, guys, for some of us, I know we do things and we watch things and, and you know, our heart breaks. But what matters is, is yo, when, when our heart breaks and, you know, God, what should I do? What can I do? You guys, listen, you and I, we can't do it all. The world got one Savior and he's a good one. You don't need you, all right? You ain't the hero. You as an individual are not going to change the world. God does through all of us, through his people. And so I know sometimes we get overwhelmed. They're going, what can I do, right? And I know I'm not the only one who's seen those little puppies on the commercials with the side of Sarah McLaughlin songs. And I, I got to change the channel. Nope. I was like, nope, I'm not going to. Because, you know, it just wrecks your heart even more with the, you know, sometimes when you see those poor kid commercials, right? I know, you know, you're probably like, I'm going to go to hell. I can't believe this. And you're just changing the channel because you don't want to see it, right? Because if you see it, you feel compelled to do something about it right? But the important thing guys, is our compassion should lead to some form of action. That's what we see here. And it was, and for Paul, he was consumed with idolatry because guys, this is what idols do. Idol worship is nothing but you replacing God for something else. It's a downgrade. All right. So you got the love of God and listen, you and I, do you know that we are all hardwired for this? You and I are all hardwired to love and to worship and to look to God. But when he doesn't fill that gap, you're going to fill that gap naturally because this is how we operate. This is how we are. We always are looking to something external to give us significance and worth and truth. And do you guys notice we don't produce that on the inside? We look for that on the outside. And we're not looking for that in God. We look for it in other places. And it always is a letdown. There may be a high, but there's always a crash. Right? And it's like spiritual drugs. That's what idol worship is. It's spiritual drugs. You get a high from doing and experiencing certain things, and then it always comes with a crash because it's not enough. You weren't made for that. You were made for him. You were made for something else. And so, guys, that, that happens every, when that happens, guys, it's, it's, we get the feeling of getting ripped off. I know I've, have you ever been ripped off by something or someone? Right, you know what that is? You ever bought something and it came in? I was like, no, that's not what I thought. That's not what I signed up for. Right? You ever bought that? You ever done this? What was that one time we were going on our, on our was it uh, Orlando, right? We were driving and we wanted to get some uh, burgers, right? And so, you know what? Uh, we try to avoid that stuff, but it is, it is what it is. Let's just get it. And so I wanted a cheeseburger. So I ordered a cheeseburger and then we, we started to open it up. And uh, normally we like to look at the bag. I'm one of that, we're that people. We pull over, right? Make sure everything, you know, they can get my sauce. You better go get my sauce, right? And so we have to do, uh, you know, hey, switch this out. Well, uh, we, had, we couldn't do it. I had to keep going. And so we look at the cheeseburger, and then I open. I was like, this looks a little light. I open it up. There was no, you know, it was a bacon cheeseburger. And the piece of bacon was literally, it was like this. It was like a bite. It's like somebody, uh, and put the bait like this. It was a bite of a bacon in my burger. And I was like, this classifies as a bacon cheeseburger because there's technically a piece of bacon in here. This was the saddest thing I've seen in the world. And so, but we were already driving. We could, I would have turned around and I would have wanted, yo, you better fix it, right? We've done that, right? If, if, if we feel ripped off, we want to be able to get it fixed. But here's the thing, when you are ripped off by your idols, you can't go to Walmart and return it. You can, bro, Walmart takes everything, right? You can't do that. Where do, you, where do you go when you've gone into this practice, when you've given yourself to substance or a relationship or an action or this or that, and it's, it didn't fulfill you the way that you thought it can you? Is there a store that you can go to say, hey, I got ripped off. I need my money back. I need my time back. I need my innocence. I need my joy back. None. 
None. I mean, literally, bro, the enemy is just like those operations that they sell you something online, you buy it, and when you go to refund it, oh, that, that company just shut down yesterday. And they move on. They got your money, and they took off, and they're just going to copy, copy, repeat, copy, paste, copy, paste, over and over and over again. That's what they do. But what's beautiful about God is that, listen, he can, we can bring anything to him. When we've been ripped off and robbed, God is able to restore God is able to restore. We can bring him our dirty rags and he, in exchange it for divine robes. That's what Jesus offers us. And so, but you can see, Paul, why he's so distressed and like, oh my gosh, these guys are, they're literally being deceived. They're putting their faith in something that is not going to save them, help them, fulfill them. It's a lie. And so what does he want to do? He wants to tell them the truth. So he goes, they invite him to tell the truth. And now let's read his sermon. This is going to be the longest chunk that we're going to read today. So Acts 17, 22 through 31. Let's look at now Paul. What does Paul have to say? I mean, this is an opportunity, guys. Could you imagine if, if you got invited? I, you know, I, I, I would wonder if I got invited to like a very prestigious stage. You know what I'm saying? You, you ain't just going to, you know, go off the top. I mean, you're going you, you gonna to bring something right. You know, it's an opportunity, all right? The Areopagus was, this is where the best of the best went. And he has a captive audience. And so here he goes. What is he going to say? Well, let's read. Verse 22 to 31. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, listen, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. So he's kind of, you know, a little, a little flattery there, all right? That's kind of a good thing. He's kind of flattery. I respect that, guys. I see, bro, yeah, hey, A for effort. Bro, you know, A for effort. That's kind of what he's saying. That you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I passed through and observed the objects of your worship, I even found an altar in which it was described to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he need anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. For one man he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and their boundaries where they live. He did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. And he quotes a very thing that, you know, something they would all have been familiar with. For we are his offspring, unquote. Well, since then we are God's offspring. And if we agree on that, right, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human heart and imagination. So therefore, having overlooked the time of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, that he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone. And what is the proof of our faith and salvation of this truth? that he raised this man from the dead. All right, listen, Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate sign and wonder. All right, it's the ultimate sign and wonder, ultimate miracle. So that's an interesting little sermon. All right, kind of brings a little TED talk there. All right, we're going to talk about the response in a minute. But what is he pretty much saying? Guys, if I could sum that whole sermon up in a sentence, he's pretty much saying, listen, guys, I see that you're religious, but being religious apart from Jesus ain't right. That's pretty much it. Being religious apart from Jesus is not right. It's not a good thing. It is not a good thing. And I, uh, I love the, the on-ramp that he used. You saw that? He's, he's walking around. He's asking questions like saying, oh, my God, what is this? You know, like, what is, what's going on over here? And he's asking this. He's asking that. And what about? And that unknown God, that, that one's that's pretty smart. So the Athenians, these guys literally had a statue for every single God. And they were like, you know what? There has to be some other gods out there. We got like 30,000. I'm pretty sure there's some out there. So in order to not offend a God that we don't know yet, let's just do one thing and call it to the unknown God. So that way it just kind of covers all of our bases. Okay. That's kind of what they were doing to the unknown God. So that way we're, we're, we're covered. 
All right, once we find him, we'll build a statue and we'll add him to the mix. And whoever else, you know, that way at least they don't feel offended. Okay, I mean, you know, for the Greeks, those gods were some very temperamental gods. And so they wanted to make sure that they're playing nicey-de-nice, okay? And so that's to the unknown God, and that's the, the, the angle that Paul uses. And what, what he did, what Paul just did right here, guys, he literally, I want to break it down. So I'm going to talk to Christians in the house, so I want y'all paying attention. The what and how to talk about Jesus, bro, Paul just laid it out right there. What he did was he contextualized the truth without ever compromising the truth. All right, I'm going to explain that because I, I'm talking to the Christian now. Right? Listen to this. He contextualized the truth without compromising it, meaning he made, he, you know, he didn't start with, all right, so everyone please turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, verses. He didn't start there because who is he talking to? He's talking to non, non-Jews. When he would go into the synagogues, he'd say, all right, let's, let's bring out that role. Let's look at Isaiah. Let me tell you about Jesus real quick. But he's talking to a bunch of people. They don't, know, they don't know the Hebrew scriptures. That's not the ground. That's not the common ground that they all believe in. So he has to start somewhere else. And so he finds something that they have in common. He finds common ground. And what's the common ground? Hey, they're proud of their, this is the religious center of Greece. So he's like, hey, let's talk about this. You know, all right, A for effort, guys. Not bad. A for effort in what you're doing here. It's very impressive. Very impressive to a certain extent is what he's saying. So he starts on that common ground. And he talks about the truth, but in a way that they would understand. In a way that that they're going to track with him. But he doesn't water it down. He doesn't compromise. Now, maybe I I didn't see this. Every time I've read this over and over and over again. But I I looked at it a little bit more. I'm like, yo, that's, bro, he, okay. I see what Paul did. Like, Paul, remember, there was two groups that you were there. You, and they're kind of some funny names, right? Epicureans and Stoics, all right? These were the top philosophy teams, and they were opposed to each other, all right? The Stoics believe one thing. The Epicureans are different. And, you know, they had their own ideas of, of, of God and this and that. And so as Paul is teaching them about the truth, and once he starts talking about God, he shifts now, and he confronts he agrees with one and then, and, you know, by, you know, in essence, disagreeing with the other. And then he says, but I also agree with you and disagree with you. And so he's kind of like showing them the, you know, they don't know what side he's on here. And so let me give you one example. You guys, um, you saw where he was talking about how God created all things, right? And then he says, but he's in all things. Like that was actually what they all believed. The Epicureans believe God just kind of created everything, wound it up and left, God, God is real, but God is not active in the world. He's outside of it. We're kind of on our own. We're kind of left home alone right now to deal with everything. So he would agree, Epicureans, you're right. God is great, and God did create all things. He is outside. That's transcendent. He is outside of this world. But the Stoics, I want you to know that God, God is also in it. He gives us life. In him, we move and breathe and have life. And the Stoics were like, oh, no, God's not outside. No, God's in everything. He's in the birds. He's in the, he's in the leaves. He's in the wind. You know, what does that sound like? All right, sounds something like some hippie stuff, right? And so, like, that's what he, you know, he's in it all, and he ain't all, he gone. No, he's in everything, right? And so that was kind of like, that was their opposites. And God is like saying, listen, you're both right. He's outside of it, but he's also inside of it. And so he's confronting their beliefs on that. And then the one, did you guys hear where it said that God made out of one man all of the people of the world? Ooh, he messed with both of them on that one because the Greeks, they thought they're hot stuff. The Greeks thought our culture, our contribution to the world, it's unmatched. It's unrivaled. I mean, the Greeks thought, the Athenians especially, you know, they thought they were hot stuff. And so they thought they were like in a different superior race. They were different than everybody else. And Paul's like saying, um, both of y'all are wrong because we're all the same. And that confronted their pride on just being Greek. I was like, no, you're not different. We're all the same. So he's confronting them. And then he shows them their hypocrisy. So he goes and talks about the offspring. You guys caught that, right? When he quotes a Greek saying, hey, you're Greek. You're this famous Greek uh, poet, right? He says, we are all his offspring, right? We all agree? Yeah, we're all his offspring. Then if God made us, then why are you attempt, why this attempt to make him? That's what idol worship is. It's like, so if God made us, he's outside of us, and he's in all things, then, then why try to, then he, you know, he's not just in these temples. So Stoics, if he's in everything, then why even make a temple if he's everywhere? And uh, Epicureans, if God's not here, then why make a temple for him? Why make an empty house for him? 
And it's like, you're, you're not making sense. And so he's kind of showing them, turning their logic against it. Guys, you ever done that? You ever helped, helped somebody see, bro, you ain't making sense. You inconsistent. And he's showing them their inconsistencies. Their inconsistencies. I'm like saying, how? If God made us, then why can we make him? And that right there is the temptation for us all. I, love, I don't know who said this quote, but somebody said, listen, God created man in his image. And then man returned the favor. And created God in theirs. Y'all caught that one? I was like, God made man in his image. And then man returned the favor and created God into their image. And that's our temptation to mold and shape God the way we want him to be. And we run to him when we want things. And then when we get what we want, I'm like, you can go. You can go. You're done. All right. Thank you. Be gone. Until the next time. Like, like God's some just ring, ding, 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 ding. Like that, that, that's, that's, what, that's how we treat him. That's how we want. And we avoid the things that we don't want to hear about. Epicureans did that. They were all about pleasure. And the goal was live life to the fullest. And let's say ignore all the things that kind of make us sad and painful. Let's get rid of that. And then the Stoics were like, oh, let's just, let's just be indifferent. You know, the universe is working. And so we're good and bad. It doesn't matter. Oh, don't we got people like that too? Still today. We got people still today. And he's showing them their, so look at this. He's not out here trying to, he never watered this down. He, conf, he agreed, he found the points. Listen, you're kind of right on that. And you're right on that. But here's where you're wrong. Here's where you're wrong. And here's where you're all wrong. And you're being inconsistent with your logic. You see that? And then, he's, he, then he throws the hammer down. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is coming. He's going to mess with everybody. Okay? He's going to take everybody out who don't believe. All right, bye. Good night. Mic drop. Okay. What? I mean, that was just crazy to see what he did. But, guys, what he did is, is I love what Paul does. And this is a great way. How do you talk about truth? Well, listen, if you can find, you can find little truths to talk about the big truth. And that's a good way. And I've seen this. I've, I try to be sensitive to this. And I don't do it all the time. But, guys, I know you guys have opportunities like this. When you find yourself in a good conversation and then somebody brings something up. This happened to us while we were in Mexico, actually. And so um, this last summer, I was just talking with just a bunch of guys. And we're just talking about life and just, you know, just, you know, shooting the breeze and nothing. And then somebody says it's one thing and well, then I bring something up and then we kind of go back, not talking about God at all. And we're just talking about life. And then we find ourselves talking about our dads. All right. And the legacies of our dads and our grandparents and stuff like that. And then we go from talking about dads to being dads because we were all dads. And this was the Father's Day weekend. And then from there. I'm like, yo, I, I feel it. I was like, yo, we in a conversation. And then now I'm just being sensitive. And every time I saw a moment, uh, I'm going to bring God in the seat. I'm going to bring God. Little, huh? Okay, yo, you can handle a little more. All right. And then that's it. And so the, there was an opportunity there that if I would have just been, you know, it's late. I'm tired. You know, I'm tired. And we were up to one in the morning, three hour conversation. And that was pretty cool. It was, and it was, an, it was an amazing thing. And so, guys, listen, here's a great way. When you're just having a regular talk with people, you want to find the on-ramp to God and then make a beeline to Jesus. That's how you talk about that. That's how you talk about God. If you find an opportunity, go on. Here's an on-ramp to God, then make a beeline to Jesus. That's exactly what he did here. And if the opportunity arises, great, but you want to take it. All right. You want to take it. And it's just as simple as that. And so that's something, guys, for us to be able to look at. And so that's his reasoning. That's how Paul was able to talk about God. But now let's look at his responses. What were the responses to this message? This one's short. Last three verses of the day. Let's well, in Acts. Let's read 32, 33, and 34. So when they heard about the resurrection, and that's where Paul always came down to the resurrection because that's what mattered. When he came down to the resurrection, some ridiculed him. They made fun of him. But others said, you know what? Yo, we'd like to hear from you again about this. I was like, okay, all right, I see what you did. Um, you can come back. We want to hear more from you. And so Paul left the presence of the Areopagus. However, ooh, I love this. Some people joined him and believed. Some people, guys, listen, the Holy Spirit broke out in this person, and they were born again in the middle of this TED Talk, literally. They were born again in the middle of the TED Talk. And who were they? We got two names, Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris. Uh, the, Are the Areopagite, 
All right, that's, he's a part of the Areopagus. And so he's an influential person. So this is a big name guy that just became saved. And if Damaris is, uh, Damaris is also mentioned, I mean, she's influential too, and some others. And so guys, listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, talk to the Christians in the house. I have to experience this every single week. And so, uh, and when I normal, and this is for all of us guys, there's always three kind of responses when you talk. Three kind of responses when you want to talk about Jesus. A, you're going to have people make fun of you. B, maybe you're going to want people that are going to be like, I will talk about this again some, you know, some more. And then C, people who believe. That's it. Those are the options. You got the people who don't believe. They'll make fun of you. People who do. And then those that are like, you know what? Can we keep talking? That was, that was actually a good talk. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But guys, when we look at this, and guys, this almost looks a little sad. Every time we've seen Paul drop some bars and bring the word Revival breaks out, and churches have to be built and established. I mean, he just, I mean, dissected these guys. Holy Spirit dissected these guys, and just a handful of people. No church, no citywide revival. They don't run him out of town because he didn't make a dent. And so some people say, oh, see, that's not the way, and that's not. But here's the thing, guys. Was this trip and was that communication a waste because only a few people believed? No, even if it was just one, one matters, one matters. And I know maybe for some of us who are like, oh, you know, I share my faith a lot, but I don't got the numbers, man. I don't got the numbers out here. Like I'm out here batting like a, like a, like a 100. This is bad out of a thousand. It doesn't matter. Success is not if people responded. Success is if you spoke. I always want to help every Christian understand that success does not rest on how people responded to what you've said. Success is, did you say it? And whatever that looked like. And so that was a success. And so the, no effort was wasted. And here we see, guys, again, what are we supposed to talk about? Well, you know, we always talk about Jesus. That's what Paul did. How do we talk about it? Well, you see how he did it. He found a way in love. He wasn't ridiculing them. He wasn't even though he was saying some tough things. In essence, he's saying, listen, you're right on this element, but you're also wrong. And you're kind of right, but you're wrong. All y'all wrong. And listen, it ain't going to go good if, if, you know, if, if you keep in this route. All right? Being religious without Jesus ain't going to make things right. Jesus is coming to judge the world. Those who don't believe spend eternity in hell. That's some hard words. But he doesn't do it in this prideful, talking down demeanor, but in a sense of love. Like if literally, if, if you were seeing someone with their headphones just kind of walking in the middle of the road and there's a semi-truck coming, tell me you ain't going to yell at them. Tell me you may, might even go and grab and tackle them. Some people are like, why are you assaulting me? You know, like uh, that would be a little rough. But, uh, but are you doing it in love, even though you might have, you know, put their face in the pavement, Right? You might have yelled at him, hey, stupid, no. You know, like, you know, you might even yell at him and say something. What are you doing? But do you do it because you're, you don't want to see what's going to happen to them, right? And that's our motivation. That's why we should talk. And so when we look at all of this, guys, I want to say, I, I mentioned this at the beginning. Idol worship leads us to idleness. And, and this is a kind of a good way of looking at this, but I also want to apply this to ourselves because we, too, are going to have to respond to our idols if we want to know God and make him known, all right? We have to respond to our own idols if we don't want to be idle in knowing God and making him known. And so how do we do that? Let me, let me put you this little, uh, put you on this guy named William Secker, all right? This is a, a Puritan uh, Christian from the 1600s, bro. Listen to what he said. He says, I would neither have you be idle in duties nor make an idol of your duties. Listen to that one for a second. I, neither, I would neither have you be idle in your duties or make an idol of your duties. And that, as a Christian, we got to avoid those extremes. So y'all tracking that? As a Christian, I don't want to be idle. You shouldn't be idle in your duties. You shouldn't be idle in knowing God and making him known. You shouldn't be that. But at the same time, don't make that an idol. Don't make that an idol, guys. And there's people here today. In here, everywhere, who knows? But there's people all around the world that they want to do things. They want to serve the Lord really in a way so that they can be served and affirmed. They, they give, they, they, they want to point God, they want to point people to God, but what they really want is the glory themselves. There's a people that do that. And you got to avoid the two extremes. Being idle in your duties means I care more about my comfort than the comfort of somebody else's soul. I'm too comfortable to be bothered with such petty things. All right? I'm tired. 
I get it. Paul was tired. He was run town to town to town to town to town. And I'm pretty sure those handful of people were appreciative that he didn't take that day off. Now, I'm not trying to say you got to be careful. You do need rhythms of rest. You do need that. But this was, this was light work, all right? This was nothing. And so, guys, you, want, you don't want to be so comfortable that you don't care about other people's comfort. But then at the same time, you want to make sure you're living for God's glory, not your own. And so you can make an idol. And this sounds weird. You can make an idol of Christian worship. You can make an idol of the Bible. You can make an idol of serving God when it is all about you. How much you know versus somebody else. How much better you are at doing something than everybody else. Now you have turned something good, and now you've made it all about you. You've made it an idol. you got to avoid those extremes. And so if there's, if there's one thing that I wanted to encourage all of us, and because, you know, we got a mixed crowd here and online, and we got a mixed crowd, and I want to make sure, just like Paul, I, don't, I want you to avoid being ignorant and idle towards your idols. I don't want you to be ignorant and idle towards your idols. The first one is ignorant. I'm going to say, well, I don't got those idols. Oh, yes, you do. We all, again, guys, we are hardwired for this. And even if you're a Christian, doesn't mean that you are not tempted to switch God out for the moment. All right? There's a part of our flesh. That's, it. that's a normal thing. And how do you know? Well, this is what idols are. Idols are nothing that you tend to love more than God himself. You tend to love more than God. And you can see kind of where maybe your idols go when it comes to how much time do I think about something? How much effort do I put into something? Where does my money go? Those can be idols. All right? That, that can be idols. Some of you, idol work. Work is your idol because it's what makes you significant. It makes you special. It makes, you know, you're, you've risen the ranks and there's a sense of, which is good there, but you've made it an idol instead of a tool. And that's the problem is when we take tools, good things of this world, and treat them like God. That's the problem. For some of us, your idol is, is your work. For some, it's your career. And maybe, maybe you make good money, and that money helps you to live a kind of way. Maybe it's your status could be your idol. Your status can be your idol. Some of you, it's your laziness. You know, again, that could be an idol. People can be an idol. Things can be an idol. Objects, anything, guys. You can turn anything into an idol. Anything. And we bow down to these things all the time. So I want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, sorry, that you do have, and we are prone to idols. And that's why I don't want you to be idle towards them. We have to respond to them. Because, guys, living and living and giving our lives to these things is a waste. Paul saw it. I'm like, guys, if you would just do this towards the living God, oh, my gosh, the difference you would make. The faith and the effort and the love, if you would put this into the living God, you would see a response. Because this other stuff doesn't make sense. You are praying to something that's just a statue. It's just sitting there. You know, it ain't going to come give you a hug. It ain't going to come and do this. And It's just sitting there, whatever pose they had. You know, that's what it's going to do. No, there's a living God. Anything else like that is a waste of time. Just kind of like this boy. Look at this guy trying to bail out the Venice. Take this, and I'm going to fulfill myself. Look at me, all right? That's what you look like to God. You're not going to fix anything. You're not addressing the situation. You're not. And so this is why we cannot remain idle towards our idols. Because being idle, idol worship leads us to idleness. And I'm going to use another word for that. Another synonym for idol is neutral, all right? Your cars, all right? Don't you got a gear for neutral? All right, you got your reverse, you got park, reverse, neutral, drive. What happens if you put your car in neutral? Tell me. Hmm? You won't go. If you put your car in neutral, it won't go. Why? You know, you know what happens when you put it in neutral? When you put your car in neutral, you separate the engine from the wheels. That's what happens. That's what neutral means. Neutral is you are separating the engine from the wheel. You can have the most powerful engine under that hood. And when you rev it, like it sounds. But if you're in neutral, you can put that all the way to the bottom. And are you going to go anywhere? No. You can, you can turn the wheel and slam the accelerator, but are you going to go anywhere if you're in neutral? No. Guys, and that's what we do. We put, we put our faith in our idols, 
And we put, that's, and when you put your faith in idols, you are in a neutral spot. You cut yourself off from power, from life, which is God. And so you can make all the noise you want, and you try this, and you can be really frustrating, but you're not going to go anywhere. And then imagine now that car, you've, you've put a car in neutral on train tracks. And there's a train on its way, and the brakes are broken. That train's coming, and it ain't stopping. You can scream all you want. You can turn the wheel all you want, and you can slam the accelerator all you want. But if you're in neutral, are you going anywhere? No, that train's going to take you out. That's exactly what Paul is saying here, and that's exactly what we need to understand, guys. If our faith is shifted onto idols, onto false gods, there is no power. We cannot save ourselves. But when we put our faith in the divine, which is Christ himself, he, that Jesus restores the power of life, the power of God, life in the Holy Spirit. He gives us that life. And when we put our trust in him, boom, we move. We have life to live. But we have to shift from our idols to the divine God. That is what we have to do. That is what we're called to do every single day. Guys, you're going to be tempted. For Christians, you're going to be tempted to shift. And sometimes that will happen. And you catch yourself like saying, why am I going? Oh, my bad. God, I'm putting my trust in me, not you. My bad. Okay, now we can go. All right? That is life, and that's what we're called to do. And that's a normal thing. But I want to encourage you guys again for all of us. For some of you, maybe you've been trying and trying and trying. You've even tried the religious stuff, and you're, trying, and you're not getting anywhere. It's because you think you're worshiping God. Because just because you put a little sprinkle of God in the equation doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if you are still at the center. If it's still all about you. And God, I just need you to help me with what I want. But, oh, but do it the way I want it. I want you to, you got parameters. Jesus, you got rules. You can only do certain much because, you know, I'm still in charge. You're not going to find life. You're not going to go anywhere like that. You, you may go somewhere in life, but that life, you know, talking about a beeline, that's heading towards a place of eternal separation from God. And so what we shift our faith onto matters and it needs to be Christ and that's what Paul did and called him out hey you need to shift towards God not towards these things to the one true God and he's not unknown anymore because he made himself known throughout scriptures throughout history and he ultimately made us known he made himself known by living the life that he did and by dying the kind of death that he did and he rose from the dead so this God is not just some unknown God we can't know no he can be known he has made it possible for us to know him he's closer than you think you just got to reach out you got to reach out but you don't reach out kind of like you're picking and choosing like at a buffet you know, like, well, I would like a little bit of God's grace over here, and I'd like a little bit of his love here. Ooh, let me, let me skip the wrath really fast, and let me, ooh, some rules. I don't, I don't like that one. Ooh, love your neighbor. Okay, that, don't judge, all right? I'm going to tell people not to judge me, but I'm going to judge them. Okay, whatever. I'll, I'll do that one, right? And so we, we kind of treat God as a buffet. You don't reach out and pick and choose what you want. He's all or nothing. He's all or nothing. And there's nothing like him. There is nothing like him. But in order to reach out to him, you got to be willing to let go. You can't, you know, the, these same hands. Like you've seen somebody dangling on a cliff. You ever seen those movies, right? And I'm like, just let go and grab on, right? You, you ever seen one of those? You just got to trust me. No. And I was like, and then it's the back and forth. In order to reach out to him, you got to let go of what you're holding on to. And eventually your grip's going to slip. God's is not. His doesn't slip. And when we let go, and that's the irony, right? If you look at those movies, every time the person let goes, they fall, right? And I'm like, that was dumb. But you always see that person go at that extra minute. I'm like, wait, you couldn't have done that earlier, bro? And I was like, you couldn't have stretched out earlier if you can go that far? And, you know, why'd I have to let go? But I love the image because that's the truth. Once we let go and say, Jesus, bam, he has it. But he, but in order for us, he's already reaching out to us. It's, we need to be able to let go of ourselves and let go of, of our shape, what, the image of what we want God to be. And when we grab onto him, listen, we are never disappointed. And if you are, it's still, that means it's still all about you. It's still all about you. And I just pray, my prayer is the same as Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church when he says this. I pray this for all of us. I pray this for my kids. I pray this for you guys. I pray this for myself. I pray 
that God may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through the Holy Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you may be rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend and understand to all the Christians just what is the length and width and height and depth of the love of God and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Paul's prayer in that thing is, oh, that you may know God and that you may make him known. That's what he's saying there. Because there is, that is an activity that gives you life. It is life because it's in him. This is something that's important. This isn't work. This is worship. It's different. It's not work. It's worship. It's love expressed. And guys, I want to challenge you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is revealing, maybe for some of you, you, maybe you needed a reminder. Hey, don't be ignorant of the fact that you can have idols, that you can worship things and people and, and even good things. Don't be ignorant of that. And then now don't be idle of it, though. Don't be idle. Shift. Continually shift towards God. Reach out to him. Like he said, reach out to him and guess what? You'll find him because he's actually not far. I know he may feel far, but that's just because your eyes are closed. Maybe you don't see it, right? I can close my eyes now. I'm like, where'd you guys, where'd you go? You know? And if you're quiet enough, I think, I think I'm alone. All right? But that's what darkness does. Darkness makes us think, I can't see. But just because at night, just because we don't see the sun, does it mean that the sun doesn't exist? Does it mean the sun doesn't exist just because you can't see the sun? Right now, you can go outside. I can't see stars just because I can't see the stars. Does it mean that stars don't exist? So just because you don't feel him the way you do doesn't mean he's far. He's there. His hand has been reached out to you always. And every morning, every moment, we should reach out to this God who's closer than we think and better than we can ever imagine. All or nothing. And there's nothing better. Yo, all or nothing. All or nothing. Because when it comes to this, guys, listen to what we just talked about. Idol worship will lead to idleness. It will lead to idleness when it comes to your own worship towards the living God. I've experienced this, and this is why I need to, I need to guard my... Because I, I could be prone to this like anybody, any Christian would. Okay? Where when we begin to experience... God being far, or if we begin to experience a slowdown in our growth and development, a lot of times it is because we put our put our folk off of God and onto somebody else, usually on ourselves. And this is when we just we just need to course correct and come right back. All right, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. We all are, but don't be idle towards it. God has done so much and revealed Himself so much. For us to do any less so reach out to him because he is not far